0: Hey, it's Adam. Welcome to our weekly teaching podcast here at South Hills Church in Corona, California. Our hope is that as you listen in, you'll find yourself laughing and learning and being challenged and encouraged to grab hold of who God has made you to be. Enjoy the message. And the title of my message today, if you're taking notes, is Custom Settings. Custom set. How many of you love custom settings? Everything has custom settings now. It's so good. Uh, like, I got a ride in a friend's car recently, and I got in their car, and, uh, and I, as soon as I sat in, and I'm kind of a tall guy. As soon as I sat in the car it's, and started it, it started moving. It was like, and it was, like, pushing me towards, and my legs were being, like, just crushed. And uh, they're like, oh, sorry, those are my custom settings. And uh, they're, like, four foot tall, and so it was... Uh, I thought I was going to lose my legs uh, during that experience, but um, like the radio station was set the way they wanted, like everything in the car was perfectly catered to exactly the way they wanted it. And the car like memorized it, you know, it was, it was doing all that sort of stuff. And this sort of makes me think of just this idea of carpooling, because I wonder if you have ever had an experience where you were going to go somewhere and then somebody else realized that you were both going to be going to the same place and they were like, oh my gosh. Should we just like, should we just ride together? And in your mind, you're like, no, I don't want to do that. But you didn't say that. You didn't say it out loud because you didn't know how to say it, you know, without sounding like a jerk. Uh, Because, you know, it's not them. It's not them. It's just that like, you know, you have your way of doing things. You know, for starters, you run hot, okay? You got to have that AC cranked, okay? You need that wind blowing in your face so that you can feel like you're breathing, and, um, you know, what, what, what if they, you know, who gets to control the temperature if we ride together, because I, I, we got an old car. Okay. And so you don't, it doesn't have like the climate control for every individual person. I don't know about that. You know, um, that makes me feel uncomfortable. You know, there's so many things that like, I, I don't know if it's going to work. I mean, who's going to sit where? If I go with you, am I the only person going with you? Are there other people going with you? I'm not sitting in the back seat, okay? I'm too big. I don't want to sit between two other people or next to your kid that's going to throw Cheerios at my face. I don't want to do that. I love them. They're cute, okay? But I'm trying to dress cute too, and I don't need to have stains when we get to the location. You know, I I don't like... Also, I I have a podcast that I'm in the middle of, and I really want to see where it's going. And if I go with you, you're going to put on... You know, uh, probably the, the new Taylor Swift album, and that's great, but it's not quite the podcast that I'm doing, and I don't, I don't wanna have to disrupt what I'm doing to do that. What if I wanna get something to eat on the way, okay? And you don't. And what if the thing I wanna get to eat isn't healthy, okay? I don't need you judging me in a drive-through, okay? Because I like churros from Taco Bell. They're delicious, it's the most delicious sugary cyber foam you'll ever eat. I think that's pretty much what it is. It's whatever the to-go container is, and they're like, let's put some sugar on this. <clears throat> what, if I, what if we get there? What if I wanna leave before you wanna leave? If I rode with you, then I'm stuck there. I'm trapped until you're ready to go. And then if you ride with me, I get a control when we leave, but then you get to see how dirty my car is. And I feel like that is gonna lower your opinion of me because I wanna blame it on the children, but it's just, I'm a dirty person. It's gross in there. And, and I, when I start to analyze the idea of writing with other people, maybe you have this too, it's just like, it feels like a lose-lose situation. Like, let's just go separate. And I think for a lot of us, we, we get in experiences like this, and we're just like, it's not worth the hassle. So we just go it alone. And if you've done this, you realize it is more comfortable because you can have all your custom settings all catered just to you, but it's also more isolating. And in our culture, I think we do this a lot with a lot of things, right? We trade community and connection for comfort. We'd rather be comfortable than connected. And we make decisions about what we're gonna do and how we're gonna do it based on this paradigm And the more we sort of do things this way, the the more difficult it is to form meaningful connections because they require the one thing that we are out of practice of, the one thing that we don't know how to do and aren't willing to do anymore, compromise. You know, I I don't want to be alone, but, you know, if I am going to go do something with them, then I can't just think about what I want. I have to think about what they want, too. And what if the thing that they want and they want to do is different than the thing I want to do? And I don't like the thing that they want to do, but I like them. And now I have to suffer through the thing that I don't like to be with somebody I do like. I don't know about that. It sounds terribly uncomfortable. And you're right, by the way. Real relationships are terribly inconvenient. The question is, are they worth it? Are they worth it? I'll tell you what's not working, isolation. We are in the middle of an epidemic of loneliness like we have never, ever seen. We have all this technology that is designed to connect us more than we ever have been before, and yet a lot of us feel more uh, disconnected than we ever have. And our feeds seem to further isolate us, right? Making our beliefs and our biases and our preferences more rigid, instead of sort of connecting us to others' perspectives, it just becomes this echo chamber that reinforces our own perspective. And anyone who disagrees with us isn't just different, they're evil. And we find ourselves being more and more isolated as a result of it. And knowing like this is how your culture thinks, it makes it really hard to make friends and meet people and build relationships because to do that, you have to be vulnerable, right? You have to open up and share yourself with another person and that feels increasingly more dangerous because if I open up and I let the guard down and I show them who I really am and how I really think and feel, they're gonna push me away because I'm not at all like them. I don't think like them. I don't act like them. My brain doesn't work like theirs. And in our culture, different is other and other is bad. And if you're overwhelmed at where we are in this time in history, here's something that you ought to know. Like it was this way in Jesus' day as well. In fact, the ancient Jews, the the people group that Jesus was a part of and came up in the middle of, they defined themselves by who they weren't, which they described all through scripture as dirty, unrighteous, idol-worshiping, sexually immoral, pork-eating, scripturally ignorant Gentiles who they also called dogs. And to be honest, the hate was mutual. The Gentiles hated them just as much, but just for different reasons. The, the Gentiles hated the Jews for prioritizing their belief system over their empire, which they were like unpatriotic. The attitude that, that, the, that uh, the Gentiles who lived in Rome had against the Jews who didn't wanna participate sort of in the cultic uh, worship of empire was like, if you don't love everything about this country, get out. Has very much changed Isn't this how so many of us still think? Because I think just like them, we also have this tendency to sort of define ourselves according to who we stand against rather than what we stand for. And for a lot of people, including a lot of people who call themselves Christians, our enemies are what give our lives and communities meaning. Like, that's how you find your people, right? You find the people that you're gonna click with because, you know, we're gonna bond together over our shared hatred of those we can't stand. Haven't you made a friendship that way? You get to know someone, you're like, wait, you hate that too? Oh my gosh, and like the frustration and you just feel this connection. It's almost like you get a little bit high off of your mutual annoyance, And you're like, did we just become best friends? I think we did. There is something that bonds us together in the midst of all this. But what about the inverse? I wonder if you have ever been accused of not being a real Christian because you didn't find certain people absolutely disgusting. Because we live in a society where we cancel people based on who they're unwilling to hate. And Jesus lived in a similar sort of environment. It was sort of this social powder keg, a lot like ours can tend to be. And what his potential followers were hoping to hear from him was permission to isolate from and look down on and ostracize and even attack their opponents. But instead, he says something totally different and unexpected, and they don't like it. This is what he says. Maybe you've heard this before. Uh, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 44, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. Whew. You ever been tempted just to like mark a verse out of your Bible? You're like, we don't need that one. <laughs> I don't like that. I feel like when we look at this verse, I just feel like, where do we even start? I can't love them, Jesus. They're enemies. That's how it works. Also, for the record, I do pray for them. Okay? Every night, I'm like, God, in a divine act of justice, <laughs> give them crippling diarrhea. <laughs> we both know they deserve it. Okay? I know you hate them as much as I do. How can you not? You've met them. They're the worst. Also, Lord, I'm open to other ailments such as tendonitis, trick knee, lockjaw. You know, it's really dealer's choice, Jehovah, your will, not mine whatever you want to do to torture them, I'm game. But this is not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus wants us to pray for our enemies, not against them. And that's that's where the struggle is. God's intention is that we would pray that he would show up in their lives, that he would meet them right where they're at, that he would fulfill their needs, that he would give them grace, that he would help them become the best version of themselves which doesn't necessarily mean what we think it means. Like the best version of yourself would be you know, more like me. You ever thought that before? Because we're just like, man, if you were more like me, that would fix everything. But that's not really what Jesus is talking about. You see, God isn't interested in making our enemies more like us. He's interested in helping us not hate them. And Jesus believed that prayer when we pray that it changes us. That the goal of prayer isn't first and foremost that God change them, but that God meet and change us. And when it changes our heart, it changes how we see other people. And when it changes how we see other people, it changes how we treat other people. And eventually over time, how we treat them changes how they treat us. We hate this of course. It, it, it takes so long to do it that way. And he's not saying love your enemies in some generic way. I imagine Jesus looking the people he's speaking to in the eyes and knowing bits and pieces of their story and knowing how painful it is going to be for the people in front of him to actually live this out. I think Jesus is saying like, I know you hate those particular people. And I I get the reason why. I know they persecuted you. Like yesterday, I think I might've been there. I know there's this long history between the two of you. I know she cost you that promotion. I know the thing that he did directly led to your marriage falling apart. I know that they have always been condescending to you. I know that you think they are what's wrong with this country. And you know what? Maybe, maybe you're right. Maybe they are. Love them. Pray for them. Serve them. That's the Jesus way. Now, obviously, no one wants to do this. And most people don't, including most Christians. And that's why Jesus says this. Matthew chapter 7, verse 14. He says, the gateway to life is very narrow, and the road is difficult, and only a few ever find it. And this is not Jesus saying that only a few select people are gonna be able to get into heaven when they die. It's him actually saying, in this context, very few people are willing to live the Jesus way right now. It's so rare, in fact, that he said it will set his followers apart from everyone else everywhere. The exact way he said it was this. John chapter 13, verse 34. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. And you know why it's proof? Because the only reason you would do this is if you were following the example of Jesus. Otherwise, No thanks, too hard. Now, you may be thinking, like, well, of course the disciples were able to love each other. Like, they were a bunch of Jewish guys. They were almost exactly the same. So, of course, it would have been easier to get along. But that wasn't the case. In fact, Jesus intentionally recruited all different sorts of people to come together and establish his movement. Like, I'll just give you some examples. Matthew, so the writer of the first gospel that appears in the New Testament. He was a wealthy religious conservative working as a tax collector in support of the Roman government. James, son of Alphaeus, was a nationalist zealot who wanted to overthrow the Roman government. And he was Matthew's brother. Philip was a liberal who consistently frustrated conservative with his unapologetic love of and participation in Greek culture. And Bartholomew was a highly educated progressive who made fun of working class people for being too simple to understand how the world actually works. Now, I don't know if these guys would have considered each other enemies, but they definitely didn't agree with one another. I don't know if they would have admitted to hating each other, but they definitely were consistently annoyed with one another. They were people who wouldn't have run in the same circles. They wouldn't have hung out. In fact, they would have actively avoided one another. And yet here they are all together, awkwardly sitting on the same side of a table, sharing a meal together. Probably not the way it happened. It's very hard to have conversations that way. It's almost like you're just posing for a painting. (laughs) And, you know, I would argue you've got people like this in your life, too. You're not quite enemies. Maybe you don't hate them. But, you know, if they were walking by and tripped in front of you, you'd probably laugh a little bit, you know, and, and think like, you know what, they got it what they deserved. Thanks, God, for listening to my prayers. Because we all have people like that which is why I think that it's important to understand that you could translate this verse in Matthew, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you like this. Give the benefit of the doubt and be kind to those who frustrate and annoy you. Ask God to bless those who inconvenience and make life difficult for you. Isn't that translation somehow worse? The disciples were this diverse collection of people thrown together and forced to do life alongside one another. And it wasn't a cakewalk. There were feuds and there were arguments and hurt feelings and misunderstandings because this is what happens when you are doing the hard work of forming a new family. And Jesus wanted his followers to push through that discomfort so they could get to the connection on the other side. And he still wants the same thing for us. In fact, I would argue that following Jesus requires us to prioritize building community over being comfortable. Which is frustrating because maybe you're like me and you're like, I want community, but I was thinking more of like the comfortable kind. I don't really wanna do it that way. And again, this is why we remain isolated because we are waiting to engage in community till we find the perfect community where we can build community comfortably. And there is no way to do that. Because when you begin to enter into a relationship with people that are different from you, they're gonna push your buttons. It is gonna stretch you. It's gonna require you to inconvenience yourselves in ways that you don't want to. And that is part of the point. And this idea is so integral to Jesus' mission that when he died and came back to life, he commanded his followers to continue to prioritizing community over comfort. And if I were sitting on the edge of that conversation that he had with his followers right before he left earth, I would have thought, they are not gonna do it. (laughs) I'll just be real with you, Jesus. I think it's great. You know, they, they struggled to do it when you were here, watching them, modeling it for them right in front of them. Once you leave, and you're not babysitting in person, I don't know that they're gonna do it. It's gonna be too hard. But if you cut to a short time later, we're told this in the book of Acts, chapter two, verse 44, that all the believers met together in one place and they shared everything they had. So not only, as you fast forward into the future, do people take Jesus seriously, not only are they still together, now they're sharing I don't know about that. Sounds very inconvenient and uncomfortable. Isn't that communism? I don't know if we should be talking about this. How did they do it? Like, how how did they not just fight all the time? How did they avoid the impulse to isolate? And we're told that this was their rhythm, just a couple verses earlier in verse 42, that all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, sharing meals, and prayer. Now, let's break down what that means. Teaching is essentially reflecting on the words and way of Jesus and wrestling with how to live those things out in our various contexts. It, it wasn't just like hearing from someone. It was taking what you're hearing and trying to figure out, like, how do I do that in the context of my life? Because this requires and calls me to action. Then they said that they, they would, would fellowship, which is such a churchy word, right? Uh, when I was a kid, I didn't even know what it meant, but I knew it happened in a hall, a fellowship hall, which was a musty basement with lots of old casseroles. That's what we did. But this comes from a a Greek word, which is koinonia, which means shared participation, And it's used in the New Testament to refer to a lot of things like serving your community, sharing your resources, uh, contributing your expertise, and listening to and supporting one another, realizing that you are a part of a bigger community and you all need each other in very real ways. Uh, Then the next thing they did that kept them together, eating. Some of you are like, what does that mean? It is exactly what it sounds like. They ate together a lot. And essentially, it was not the way we eat, where it's like, you want to grab some drive-thru and like eat it while we're talking and going to the next location? Like That's not what they did. It was about letting your guard down and having a long, meandering meal that was full of talking and laughing and storytelling and sometimes being real and crying with one another. And then prayer, which is essentially focusing on and talking to God together inviting his power and his perspective into your life and community. And again, doing these things consistently with each other wasn't easy. That's why they had to devote themselves to it. When you devote yourself to something, it means that you determine to do it, especially when you don't feel like it. And the longer they lived life this way, the more it began to transform them. And that's still the promise, that the more you live life this way, the more it ought to have an effect on you, the more it ought to make you a more loving and joyful and peaceful and patient and kind and good and faithful and gentle and self-controlled person. Paul talks about this in the book of Galatians, that this is the outflow of us doing life the Jesus way. In other words, doing life the Jesus way alongside a lot of different people makes you into the type of person that you can be proud of and others can respect, which is, I think, something that everybody wants. We all want this, but most of us are convinced that the only way to access this thing is to overpower and outsmart the people that we don't like and to isolate ourselves from anybody who isn't like us. But early Christ followers did the exact opposite of that impulse. They inaugurated a new kind of community where Jews and Gentiles, these two groups of people that couldn't be more different, who were constantly feuding and frustrated at one another, this new community they all gathered together, they worshiped together, they shared a table and they called each other, not names, not derogatory terms, they called each other brother and sister. Their unique form of unity, man, it, it changed and transformed and bettered them but it angered the people around them. It angered purists on both sides. Living this way was this daily challenge, but it was deeply fulfilling in ways that these people had always desperately longed for. And this is why the early church leaders repetitively reminded their people, don't stop doing this. Prioritize it. Don't get out of the habit. Keep these rhythms up. One author in the New Testament says it this way, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. He says, let us think of ways to motivate one another, to acts of love and good works, and let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now. So if you look at this, like, what is the point of these people getting together and meeting together? Was it like, man, we gotta get together, we gotta sing some songs, okay? We gotta sing those, and they better be my favorite songs, too. Okay, no new stuff, JR. Just do this hits. (laughs) What is this guy doing? Right? Is it that like we need to get together and like hear somebody say something? Is it that, you know, we, we have to get together because we gotta give, you know, bills gotta be paid. But but that's not what we see in this scripture. We see that the point of, of the church and Christians gathering is to connect and motivate and encourage one another. And I would argue like what we all want but can't seem to find is the kind of motivation and encouragement that comes from meeting up with each other and looking each other in the eye and genuinely taking the time to care about where somebody else is at. I think it's the kind of thing that comes from putting your arm around someone and just sitting there as you both deeply sigh and feel the weight of what you're walking through. I think it comes in moments where you are crying and praying alongside of people who don't look like you or live like you or think like you or vote like you. I think church happens when we are willing to inconvenience ourselves to live alongside of and speak life into those who aren't like us so that we can both become like Christ. Another way to say it would be like on, on the road of life, we are not meant to just ride in comfort all by ourselves, isolated from the world, hoping to just sort of like you know meet up later with other Christians in heaven We're designed to embrace the discomfort of piling in together and inconveniencing ourselves for the sake of community. Because the church exists so that everyone has access to the connection and encouragement we are all made for. I'll tell you, if there is something that every single person is in need of but is in very short supply, It is encouragement. You ever stopped and like complimented someone and it was genuine and it was somebody you didn't know and it seemed like a small statement, but they began to cry. And you realize they were so starved from being told that they have done anything good and anything right that they're on the right track with any of the stuff in their life right now, that it broke them in that moment. I think we are all sort of living in a culture where our isolation has made a lot of our hearts and souls run on empty. And we are desperate for connection. We are desperate for motivation. We are desperate for encouragement. God says this thing that you are so desperately craving to receive from others, you were designed to give to others. It's when we gather together with the intention, not just to have a service, not just to hear some great words, not just to walk away with some inspiration, but to actually have a moment where we connect and care for one another in a way that is genuine, genuine, in a way where we take our time, in a way where we really care, in a way where when we hear what somebody else is going through, we don't just say like, good luck, I'll pray for you. I probably won't, I'll forget. That's where we say, what can I do to lean into your life right now, to motivate, to connect and encourage you to see yourself how God sees you and to live accordingly. I wonder, is this what you show up expecting to do on a Sunday? Do you show up with this expectation of like, I know why I'm here. I am here to connect and to motivate and encourage the people around me with all of my interactions, with the way I worship, with the way I take notes, with the, the joy that I exude, with the way that I'm real, with the way that I care, with the way that I pay attention, with the eye contact I give. This is why I showed up. Or is it something else? Is it, is it sort of this attitude of like, I hope it's good today. The music better be real good. And the sermon better be funny this time. And not about money. Preferably like something that I'm already doing well at so I don't have to feel uncomfortable or convicted in any way. You show up thinking like, man, when are they finally gonna get me connected? I think the, the better question might be, when was the last time you inconvenience yourself to connect with others by, by serving and encouraging them by motivating them, by affirming them. So here's your, your, your homework this week. I want you to ask yourself, just in your own time this week, like what is it that you want most out of church? At this season of your life where you're at, what is it that you are looking for from church? Why did you show up here? Why are you here? And then ask God if that's what he wants for you. Because I think a lot of times we discover that God and us have different goals about what this experience is about and what we're supposed to grab a hold of from it. I think sometimes we show up and we have this expectation that everything should be catered to our custom settings. And in reality, the thing that Jesus has always been trying to get his people to do is trade your own comfort for the intimacy of community because it's worth it and it will transform you and the people around you. That's what I wanna pray into your life today, that we would be a place that is not known for having great services and good preaching and good music and a cool building and great kids ministry, but that we would be more known as a place that is willing to experience a lot of personal discomfort to make sure that everyone gets connected. That is the community that Jesus died to breathe into existence. Would you just bow your heads with me across this room? There's nothing magical about it. It just helps you focus, pay attention in this moment. And I wanna do something different today. And with everybody's head bowed and with your eyes closed, as you are thinking about your life in this moment, I wanna ask you this question. Are you in a season where you are dry and disconnected? In which you show up to lots of places and you're surrounded by other people and yet you feel completely alone. A lot of people are fumbling through life this way. and If that's you, I want to pray for you specifically today because this is not the way that you were meant to live. In fact, the church exists to see you, to love you, to motivate and encourage you, to empower you to feel the connectivity that you were designed for. And if you're in a place today where you feel disconnected, And alone. Would you slip your hand up? I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want to pray directly for you today. That God would intervene in your life. That God would send to you who you need in this moment. God, I know you see every single hand that's raised. I know you see the hearts that are too broken inside to muster the strength to raise a hand. God, your love for us is so large, it's unfathomable. God, you, you see us, you destined for us to be in this room, in this moment, to hear from your word how much you love each of us. And God, I pray that as we step forward, may we discover what the church is really about, this place where everybody Belongs where we inconvenience ourselves on one another's behalf. God, may we be people who are willing to give to others what we are so desperate to get from others. God, may we find as we lean into you and as we choose to live your way, as we build our lives around your teaching, as we build our lives around fellowship, as we build our lives around all kinds of eating As we build our lives around prayer, may you bond us together. May our differences begin to fade into the background. And may the fact that we are tied together in Jesus become all that matters. God, fulfill us, connect us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. We hope you heard something that spoke directly to where you're at right now in life. To find out more about our church, hit up our website, southhills.org corona, or follow us on social media at South Hills Corona. And if our messages have made a difference in your life, help us get the word out by rating and reviewing this podcast. And as always, you can support the ongoing work of our church by giving through our website at southhills.org give and selecting the Corona Campus. Thank you so much for listening and we hope you'll join us again next week. God bless.